It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103. And as we've been hearing all morning, it really does uh, look like uh, not one politician escaped the ire of a very hostile group of protesters outside of Leinster House yesterday as the doll returned after their uh, summer recess. There was a mock gallows. It had portraits of the, the Taoiseach, the Taunishta, a lot of other senior ministers, the Sinn Féin leader, Mary uh, Lou MacDonald. Her picture was on it as was the People Before Prophets, um, Paul uh, Murphy. Um, and the, 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 that particular mock gallows was paraded as those demonstrated were chanting slogans against transgender rights, um, migration. And uh, obviously they were talking a lot about hate, hate speech laws. Now the Thornish there, Michal Martin has said the erection of the gallows with politicians' photos outside Leinster House was simply reprehensible. Uh, but I think what a lot of people were shocked by was a video that's circulating on social media that showed independent Kerry TD Michael Healy Ray having to be escorted by two Gardaí from Leinster House and down Kildare Street. Michael Healy Ray uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia, to you and to your listener. And firstly, how are you? Are you OK? And were you shook by what no, happened there, yesterday? There's, there's no problem about me. That's not the point. But there was a young girl that was with me. She was on her first day on an official intern programme from America. And uh, she was shoved and pushed and her mobile phone was stolen from her. Um, I mean, that type of behaviour, that's not normal protesting. I warmly welcome people coming from all parts of Ireland, from all sectors of society to protest and to make their voices heard and rightly so. We are accountable to the people. I'm a servant of the people, as I always say. I'm there to work for the people, whether they're from Kerry or whether they're from Cork or whatever part of the country, I'm there to be a voice for people and uh, and to work for people. And But most importantly, to listen to people. And uh, unfortunately, these people came. They didn't have any message. All they were shouting bad, very bad, dirty language and, you know, throwing things at Gardaí. I apologise. I'm so sorry for the Gardaí, but they had to put up with Journalists had to put up with it, people working in the doll. And like I say, the young lady that was with me on her very first imagine what her parents over in America think of this was her first day in her internship. Uh, 
It's a frightening experience as well for, for a young 20-year-old, not even, you know, a visitor to this country to have to experience that. It, it, it really, really is shameful. And I saw uh, David Hall of the Irish uh, Mortgage Holders Association. He happened to be in the Dáil at some kind of a meeting. And when he came out, they thought he was a politician and he, he got jostled. So they didn't even know who they were picking on. Oh, no. I mean, I had a person from the catering staff last night that were called every name under the sun and hurt, abuse hurtled at them. And they, they were working in the catering side of the house of their doctors. So these people, look, there's no room in society for that sort of behaviour. But on a light-hearted note uh, to your listeners, the, the one thing that I tell you about those people that I saw yesterday, I wouldn't like to be relying on any one of them to go to the bog with me. <laughs> I, I wouldn't like to be relying on them to pay much tax because I don't think that their efforts would incur the payment of tax to the exchequer. And another very important point, at half past six this morning, isn't it amazing? I didn't see one of them around the doll. I didn't see one of them in the environs of the doll. And it, it's just after 10 o'clock now, maybe at three or four o'clock today, they might start waking up and they might be ready for round two. <laughs> okay, and, and just fi- fi- finally, because I, I know you're very busy this morning and I appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. What is your message to those people who are so full of hate and so full of anger? I'll tell you what my message is, and it's a very loud, clear message. Go away and get up in the morning and do something productive. If you don't, Jean do and they have work to go and do, go read a book, walk a dog, talk to somebody do something sensible. Do something productive with your life. And don't be waste your time from zero to 100 is a very short length of time. And if this is the best they can do with their time, well, it's a sad outlook on them, on their lives, and on their outlook on life. Go away and, and, and you know, try maybe get you a little bit of work. You know, maybe a bit of work to do them no harm. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't like to be relying on any one of them for mental work or for physical work or for anything. Because they'd have to be trained into the skills of working first, I'd say, by what I saw of them. Okay. All right. Good to know that you're doing okay. We just wanted to check in with you. And would you pass on our best wishes to that young uh, intern and uh, tell her that they, that they are not representative of, of, of what this country is all about? I will indeed. Thanks and a thank million. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank mind you. mind thank yourself. You. Take care. That is... Uh, Independent uh, Dáil Deputy for uh, Kerry, Michael Healy Ray, and you possibly uh, did see that video that was circulating. You could see the people shouting uh, abuse at him and pushing and shoving him. I mean, it was just, it was shocking. It was hard to realise that this was happening in our beautiful capital city. And I see this morning a review of security at Leinster House is going to get underway uh, today because what also happened while the the TDs and the senators did manage to get into Leinster House and they got about whatever work they were doing uh, yesterday. There was then a delay with them trying to access, um, trying to get out of Leinster House uh, to go home. And um, in the, it, it took the, the, at one stage they were almost on lockdown and then eventually the TDs had to be get a guard, the escort in order for them to leave in their cars yesterday. So it did go on for uh, quite some time. So the Count Corla of the Dáil, Sean O'Farrell, said serious concerns have been raised about some aspects of the uh, protest and he's also saying as you know every, every single TD that I've heard including Michael Healy Ray people do have a right to uh, protest that's an absolute part in a democracy but it was just the nature of the protests uh, yesterday and you know some people I think it was a green TD 
uh, uh, brought up the name and it was a name that I thought of uh, yesterday. Uh, is this the potential for a Joe Cox uh, moment? You remember young Joe Cox, the English MP who, it was in the lead up to Brexit, wasn't it, 2016? I, I think it was, she was shot and uh, stabbed to death. She was heading to a little village in her constituency to have a constituency uh, meeting with some of her constituents and this far right protester who was against everything that she stood for because she was against leaving. Uh, so she was um, not for Brexit and uh, she was shot and uh, stabbed, you know, and how far away are we from a Joe Cox moment when you see that kind of hatred and anger and anger by a group of people. Now, it's a small enough group of people. It was 200 people, they reckon, in total uh, was there uh, yesterday. Your thoughts welcomed on it. Already getting some commentary in. Uh, Alan in Blarney said, people are angry about what happened yesterday, but what happened yesterday simply should not have taken place. Is this a message to politicians or is it all about thuggery at the end of the day? Maura in Bandon said, to watch the pushing and shoving of politicians yesterday, that's not a democracy. And if people do not like what is going on inside the halls the walls of Leinster House then vote at the next uh, election but you don't go about it the way they did yesterday. Also Patricia you mentioned the water protests and while there was some scuffles at that there was never a situation like what we witnessed yesterday during any of the water charges protests. Frank in Bishopstown says before Patrick Keelty started the late on the RT player they were showing highlights from Gay Burns era as the presenter of the late late. The debates they were having debates on a whole variety of different issues right back in the 60s, the 70s and the 80s. All of those debates were lively and everybody exchanged views respectfully. Now maybe sometimes there would be a bit of shouting and raised voices but it was still done with great respect. However, if you try and debate with people today, particularly the likes that turned up outside the doll yesterday, and if you have any kind of a different view, they simply shout people down. They will not listen. You could not host a show like what Gay used to do in the 70s and 80s today because people of a certain character and view will not listen to uh, others. Yeah, and that's the one thing, you know, yesterday I mean, it's Michael Healy Ray say he's, he's a great man to debate. He'll stop and chat with anyone and he'll listen to somebody's point of view and then he'll put across his point of view. But there was no listening yesterday. I mean, they were just shouting in some of the commentary. I mean, it was absolutely obscene. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be able to play out some of it because of the, the foul and the bad language that was being used. And to hear that some of the staff of Leinster House had bottles of urine thrown at them and seemingly some members of Angarda Corner had bottles of urine uh, thrown at them as well. Uh, your thoughts welcome, particularly on, on the gallows. It was when I saw the picture of the mock gallows and then the portraits of all of the of different party leaders and senior ministers, that's when I straight away thought of Joe Cox and said, how far away are we from somebody who gets so fueled with hatred that the next step is to actually kill and, and murder somebody. I mean, that's that's what you would be really, really worried about. So let's wait and see what comes out of that review of security at Dáil Éireann. But certainly what happened yesterday can't be allowed to happen again. Some of your thoughts on uh, the protests outside the Dáil yesterday. Neiman Ballinhasic said there were similar po- protests uh, back in 2010. It was the time of the recession, particularly after the country was bailed out. However, nothing like what we witnessed yesterday has ever happened in the past. Jer- 
Ger says it got out of control very quickly yesterday what happened but when you have our main leaders over in New York uh, with the UN um, uh, while hundreds of children are waiting for serious spinal operations Michael Martin said last night he was disgusted on what had happened and the scenes that we witnessed outside the doll but if the government don't wake up and do their job things will get a lot worse I hope not but people are so angry at this country, everyone's paying taxes, uh, but nothing back in return. Yeah, and, and I absolutely accept people are angry, but that was a very small minority of people. I mean, they reckon 200 people were at it yesterday. I mean, I don't think there you can be angry, but you don't need to carry on the way people carried on uh, yesterday. Remember the power of the ballot box. It's up to each and every person to vote in the next election if you're not happy with the person who is representing you at the moment. Anne in Ballantempest says, I agree 100% with Deputy Michael Healy Ray. It was disgraceful what those thugs did yesterday. Uh, Mary says, Hi Patricia, totally agree with Michael Healy Ray. They have no idea what it is to do a proper day's work. They take the dole and all of the other benefits. Um, um, I'm not going to use the word Mary because we're only stupid to their level by using a word uh, like that. Somebody says, I don't agree with violence, but sorry, the government TDs brought this on themselves. The government have destroyed the country. I, I, I disagree with you. I don't think anybody deserved to have bottles of urine thrown at them and to be spat at and to be uh, verbally abused the way they were abused uh, yesterday. You can protest, you can peacefully protest and you can get into debate and you can talk with people, but not what we witnessed uh, yesterday. So no, I don't think anybody asked for what happened uh, yesterday I disagree with you uh, thank you for your comment though and the listener says shame on those who are responsible for that display of rudeness this is not what we the Irish want and had no hand actor part in this kind of carry on it's uh, shameful on all of those uh, people ok that's just a sample of some of the calls coming into us this morning yesterday NCT operator Atlas along with members of the Road Safety Authority were before the Joint Directors Committee on Transport and Communications to find out how the meeting went I'm joined by committee member uh, for Cork East, uh, Dáil Deputy James O'Connor. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. Um, you, you're welcome. Uh, firstly, because I've just a couple of minutes ago spoke with the independent uh, Dáil Deputy Michael Heady Ray about the scenes that were witnessed outside uh, Leinster House. Were you OK getting in and out of Leinster House yesterday? So yesterday morning I was in before um, what happened kicked off, but basically what happened in the morning was that the Kildare Street entrance, uh, everybody will know that facade, of course, from television um, of Leinster House uh, was actually blocked first. Um, but we have two entrances to Leinster House. We have one on the Marion Street gate as well over where government buildings is. There's a second uh, entrance to the complex. So I had entered through there um the protest had started. Uh, but subsequently what happened was that the protesters, uh, some of them had moved from the Kildare Street around to Marion Street, uh, had blocked the gates uh, and they had barricaded uh, everybody inside the complex. And of course, Leinster House is not just politicians, it's 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 journalists, it's members of our, our media. Uh, and there's, uh, you know, civil servants, visitors, dignitaries coming from, from different countries as well. We, we had two foreign delegations in yesterday from different parliaments. Um, so it it is more than what, what what would ordinarily meet the eye in terms of being a, a parliament. But, you know, it was appalling what happened. And, you know, we've protesters come from all over the country um, about causes that they care about, about things that they feel matter and need to be brought to the attention of politicians in Leinster House. Um, and that was not what happened yesterday. Yesterday was, was a group of anarchists and thugs. 
um, that sought to abuse people that they didn't even know. There was, there was, you know, very junior members of staff yesterday pushed around. I have people who were contacting me from early morning saying that they were being hassled by people in Balaclavas. Um, there was um, some talk of, 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 of um, objects being fired at people as well. Uh, what was contained within them was human waste and one particular uh, person that we spoke to. Uh, and this is not normal practice or behaviour. And I also think the Garda Commissioner has questions to ask because under no circumstance should the National Parliament of the country be barricaded. It belongs to the people of Ireland. It doesn't belong to a group of thugs. And quite frankly, um, how do all these people with an economy at full employment uh, could be standing outside in the Parliament during a working day of the week all day long is a little bit baffling. Uh, and someone suggested if there was a if there was a social welfare inspector outside there, he wouldn't be too long dispersing the crowd that showed up at Leinster House yesterday. Uh, they even had a gallows with them as well. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, disgusting. I think that's the one that a lot of our listeners are, are taking huge, huge uh, umbrage to. Because you know, I mentioned when I saw it yesterday, the first person I thought of uh, was uh, Joe Cox, who was murdered, the MP that was murdered in England. You know, I mean, it it, it doesn't take very far to go from a protest like that to something like what happened to Joe Cox it's, it's, it's frightening Certainly and, and you know it just, it's worth referencing that of course we have thousands of people thousands upon thousands that come to Leinster House to protest every single uh, day that all sits there's always people outside the gate and every cause uh, and they do it in a dignified way uh, many of them can have people who are very angry about issues uh, but yesterday was it wasn't a protest it was it was a gathering yeah. of thugs uh, we don't shameful. know what they were looking for and you know all they were showing was very uh, grotesque objects of different politicians uh, you know things that they were doing the chance that they were saying um, they were they were deeply um, deeply um, you know well they're uh, not they're, the only thing is there was a, they reckon about 200 people they're not representative of the majority of people and people can be angry with politicians uh, and, and that's fine and have your say and have your speak but you don't need to go to the level that they went to yesterday uh, certainly and, and Michael Healy Ray um, took an awful lot of abuse yesterday that clip was widely circulated on social media and that was going on throughout the day so I think the Gardaí definitely need to review um, when I say the Gardaí you know the ordinary members of Angarda Siakana of course do an excellent job but senior Gardaí and the decision making that they have to 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 pretty much accommodate what went out went on outside our, our, our national parliament yesterday that it's unacceptable and that needs to be dealt with at no singular point should access to and from that building be blocked by anyone no one is entitled to do that and doing so uh, you know, is a very, very serious uh, act in yeah. indeed. Let's not forget, forget this is a democracy. It's not a dictatorship. OK, now to get back to the issue uh, that we invited you on the programme uh, about, you had Aplus and you had the Rosavity Authority. Firstly, Aplus are putting out that they're making very significant progress in reducing the waiting times for mm-hmm. uh, NCTs. Are you disputing their figures? Um, I am, because when you try and book a test online, if you go onto the computer today to book a test online, the waiting times that we found for all the Cork centres were over um, over about four months. So you're coming into the middle of January to get a test. Um, Little Island seems to be the fastest one in County Cork at the moment. Yall Town, where I'm from, uh, the, the waiting time is actually into the start of March. Uh, and in other centres in and around Cork County, uh, the waiting type times generally are falling uh, in February. So they are coming in yesterday with the facts and figures that they had gone away and got delight to write up a report on 
trying to tell us that the waiting times had subsided again under a month on average, uh, but it just not reflected anywhere online. I actually booked an NCT test yesterday, Patricia, and the earliest date I could get available that suited me uh, on a non-sitting day the doll, uh, when the doll was not working was in Tralee. So it's an hour and a half of a drive for me, an hour and 45 minutes of a drive for me to go down and get my card NCT'd. And the point he made to me yesterday was that, you know, you can't come into a committee, Patricia, claiming that you can get an appointment over a phone call um, and then try and, and then try and get us to buy that when, when you go online and, and the reality is in the case. OK, but did they talk 100%. about um, we know that they've had an issue with recruiting mechanics and they were going to the Philippines. Are they are they bringing in? Are they getting additional testers? So they told us that there was 40 additional testers coming in from the Philippines okay. um, yesterday at the at the committee meeting. And predominantly, those testers are not coming to Munster. They're going to Dublin, uh, which is another point that was made. And myself yesterday and, and Deputy Danny Healy Ray in particular, uh, we, we got quite um, irate with them about what they were doing, where the allocation of the resources were going. Um, and specifically, uh, you know, it comes down to the very fact that we've been talking about this now for at least 18 months and there doesn't seem to be any sizable improvements. And, you know, I found it very, very misleading what they were trying to do yesterday to say that, oh, sure, people who are ringing up in the telephone are getting an appointment quicker than those that are going online. Because when you go online, you can factually see what appointments are available to you from the booking system. Yes, they were claiming over the telephone that the waiting times were, you know, one third, one quarter of what they were, one fifth of what they were when you're booking online. And I don't trust them. I don't think we have grounds to trust them on account of what has happened to date. And I also think that, you know, just actually the question came from when I was speaking with you last, Patricia, on your show around how long that contract is going to last. And yesterday I put that question to them. And it turns out that they signed a contract, the department uh, supported uh, the, the Road Safety Authority and Aptus Plus, the operator. A contract was signed in February of 2020 uh, for a 10-year contract for Aptus Plus to operate the NCT system. Now, there is significance. Many people are probably thinking, why February 2020? Well, that was the month that the general election happened. And I find it very, very peculiar that a contract of such longevity was signed at the very, very dying days or the very starting week. So what, what are you, what are you insinuating? That took place. What are you insinuating there? That, you know, the, 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 that date, that, uh, agreeing to that date on, or, or, or that time frame or that agreement was in place, it was at a very, very loose stage in the, the government formation that a general election took place on the 8th of February. And that month in particular is probably the worst month of all when it comes to political and democratic scrutiny for very obvious reasons that Adal has just been elected and obviously subsequent to that government formation talks you know would have to take place and it did take place up until june so that's something that i found highly peculiar and what made it peculiar was not alone the date patricia but the longevity of that contract i don't know anybody in the private sector that gets a decade-long contract to provide um, any service to for, for private companies so what you're saying is we're, we're, we're stuck we're stuck with Atlas until 2030 I'm saying that and I'm also saying that it's just very fishy that 10 years of a contract is now being provided to these operators. And yesterday I asked as well about accountability. You know, they said that there were these um, key performance indicators that were in place with Aptus Plus and if they were breached that there would be consequences. And I pressed the RSA yesterday. I said, what have you done in terms of holding them to account so far? And the answers were incredibly watery. They, they didn't say that there had been any fines or penalties applied. 
but yet we're eight, we're 18 months into this crisis where there is nearly you know 350,000 vehicles on the road every day day in day out that don't have NCTs for one reason or another and it's for everyone's safety that we need to have that system in place so this morning uh, I just wanted to say it here first I'm actually going to write to the chairperson of the public accounts committee the committee is sitting as we speak uh, and this matter is going to have to go before the PAC I believe because it's unacceptable that a contract was negotiated with such length uh, with such little provision to hold the operator to account and it's something that I think has to go before the PAC. Okay, keep us keep us uh, updated on that. And then on driving uh, licenses, you had the RSA uh, in. Um, there's the 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 backlog for people waiting for a driving test just seems to be getting higher every time I check it. It is, and uh, what's coming up in political offices very frequently now. Every constituency office will have their own stories to tell. Um, but we have people who would be very, very high priority. So, for example, young nurses that, you know, are trying to get on the road and get their license so they can get out and do their job uh, are part of their clinical placement um, for people that are doing, you know, degrees in, in, in the area of, 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 of health. And we found yesterday that, you know, despite the fact that politicians had been making representations to the RSA to get these tests, uh, you know, in some way or f- shape or fashion expedited um, for very obvious reasons, because they would be very high priority. The RSA were coming back with very, very bland responses to say that, you know, it was not possible for people to be expedited because they had to join the queue ordinarily. And yet all of a sudden, then we had information yesterday coming to the committee saying, oh, hang on a second. We actually have a channel that will expedite appointments. But politicians I spoke to yesterday and indeed, you know, Deputy Michael Lowry in Tipperary, he raised uh, this matter as well yesterday. And he was told by the RSA that, oh, we have this channel. But yet when he had wrote in, they were not actually coming back to say that we are going to speed up those appointments. So even this channel of priority for people for very legitimate reasons, require the, the appointments to be sped up on compassionate grounds or on grounds of severe urgency because it's relating to their, their careers, their jobs or the, the roles that they occupy, you know, they're not being honoured. And that's something I can attest to. We've had people onto us, you know, people in the haulage business in North Cochrane contact with us recently, uh, you know, trying to get drivers to go up in lorries. It's their day their, It's their day job. It's not something that is, 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 is driving for pleasure or for other reasons. And for a career where driving is involved, obviously, that's something that does need to take priority in some cases. And we're finding even at those levels that there's just no you know, system at the moment of, of prioritization when it's very, very, very severely needed. But also when it comes to the driving testers as well, we do know there was a significant number of them that were laid off during the pandemic um, after they'd been hired in on a temporary contract during queues that erupted around 2018 and 2019. And we need to see that same approach again and offer full-time roles for driver testers, you know, and I, I think that's something that, you know, that there is a degree of urgency. Some TDs yesterday had different suggestions, Patricia. Uh, one was that, you know, we could look at allowing people do their 12 lessons and that be given uh, the ability to drive uh, on a learner's permit after the completion of the 12 les- lessons you know, up until the driving test. Yeah, because the big problem we uh, have for the learner drivers is having to have a fully qualified driver with them at all times until they pass their test. You're spot on. And, and you know, that's that's something that I think, you know, perhaps there is a bit of, of, of leeway with that. But what we do need to make sure is that somebody does get, once they, once they do get offered to do the driving test, 
obviously there does need to be a system to police that because we can't have people constantly on the road on the learner's permit you know waiting for years for a driver's test that's just not practical and it would create uh, you know uh, sometimes the unintended consequence um, is something we have to think about too and that's okay. something that I think would be an issue you know Alright and, and I know the service level agreement with the RSA for driving uh, tests is 10 weeks we're, we're a long way from that we really are. And, you know, driver, driving instructors all over uh, Cork County, there's a few towns where there's a significant amount of driving instructors located. You know, Mallow is one. We've a, a lot of them working in, in places like Dungarvan would be very popular for people in East Cork um, to do their driving test in. Um, you know, and there's people on to me constantly in those locations, driving instructors that are, you know, irate with the with the situation. It is unacceptable. And it all comes back to the Road Safety Authority. Unfortunately for them, they're failing on two very key areas. The National Car Test um, is now, uh, as described yesterday, um, a mess. And unfortunately, the driving test system as well has left a lot to be desired. Um, and it's deeply concerning. So on those two fronts, unfortunately, the RSA are coming under very heavy fire at this moment in time. Um, you know, and with, uh, you know, an increase in, in fatalities on the road, uh, this is something that unfortunately would have to be tackled head on okay. uh, with the RSA and it's something that deserves okay. further examination. Okay, and listen, just, this is completely um, off the beaten track and on a personal note, while I have you on the line, were you in Dubai Airport a number of weeks ago? Was I in, I was. D- Dubai. I was. You met an elderly couple from Melbourne who were travelling, I think you were travelling to Dublin, were you? I did. Absolutely yeah. lovely people. Yeah, they were my... travelling on holidays. I think it was to Ireland their first yeah, time. Yeah, we had, a, we yeah. had a great exchange. They were coming they to Tipperary. They were. <laughs> they were. And they are, they are uh, there's a connection to that couple in that my sister-in-law lives in Melbourne. She's married to an Australian uh, man who happens to be their nephew. They came to Tipperary, met with family members of mine, were talking about this lovely young politician that they had met. And lo and behold, I said, that's got to be our James O'Connor. And it was and they spoke highly of you and how kind you were uh, to them and how you got their holiday off to a great start. So I just want to publicly say, well done to you for that. And as I say, you you couldn't have known. (laughs) Okay, listen, thanks for that, James. Have a good day and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Patricia. Good morning Patricia. to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Cork East Doll Deputy James O'Connor. Uh, just on NCTs, uh, somebody says, um, Hi Patricia, on NCT, I booked uh, a, t- a test for my car in McCroom. I got an appointment within three weeks. Why, I wonder, is there a four month uh, waiting list at other test uh, centres? It wasn't a problem for me. And by the way, the good news is my car passed, thanking you. That's R in Mill Street. And Kevin says, Patricia, there actually is no real issue in recruiting mechanics to work with the NCT. I'm a mechanic and I would have no hesitation working at an NCT centre. The problem is I don't work for charity. I subscribe enough to charities as it is. The pay is simply not uh, good enough. And also, do you know that if you become a mechanic for the NCT centre, you can't repair your own cars you can't re- you can't repair cars in your own time. You can't. You even have to get somebody else to repair your own car. That is a load of rubbish. Enjoying the show, and that is from Kevin. Now, according to Charlie Weston, who is the personal finance editor with the Irish Independent, all public bodies are to be told they will have to continue to accept cash from members of the public who are paying for services. To find out more, Charlie Weston joins me. Good morning to Charlie. Hi, Patricia, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Is this down to the NCT operator, Atlas, announcing it was about to go cashless? Is that what's kicking this I, all I off? I think that's, 
yeah, one of the main reasons, Aplus, you're right, run the uh, National Car Testing uh, Service. And they announced out of the blue last month that uh, would, they would no longer accept uh, cash for payments. And when we're talking cash here, we're talking bank drafts and post orders and, uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But it, but they only want electronic payments. So that went down very badly and there was a backlash against that. And that was quickly reversed. Uh, so um, the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, has now written to his cabinet colleagues and said to them, uh, will you please ask all the public bodies under your remit rather, to continue to accept cash as a payment so that cash is not to be shut off as an option. That's a significant intervention. So it looks like uh, bodies like the National Driver uh, License Service will uh, will have to change course now because they've long, or for a while now, they've had a policy of saying, that they won't accept uh, cash payments. They can only pay with a debit or credit card, Google Pay, Apple Pay, or PayZone. So uh, they may have to go back to accepting checks and cash and postal orders. Uh, you know, not everybody uses uh, electronic uh, banking or has has a smartphone with a, you know, a PayPal or, or or Google Pay rather built into it. Uh, you know, or Apple Pay. There's about 650,000 older people who are not online, don't have smartphones. So that's a lot of people. That is, and this this rush to a cashless society, Charlie. Certainly, whenever we bring it up on the program, it is scaring a cohort of people. It's scaring them. You're absolutely right. And the the, the people are, are indignant about this the idea that they're going to be forced into giving up on cash. I mean, we've long used cash. Now, I know during the pandemic, we were encouraged to stop using it. And there was a huge move towards the use of electronic payments because there was fears that uh, physical money would carry the infection. But, you know, people still want that option. It still has to be an option. I mean, in the little village that I live in, during Storm Betty at the end of August, the electricity was out for about 12 hours. So I couldn't use my contactless card. Yeah. wanted to get a train. I couldn't use my leave card. couldn't top it up or use it. Uh, I had to, go, had to say to the guys when I got to the station in Dublin, lads, you know, wasn't able to pay there. Uh, couldn't buy a lotto ticket. It was it was a Saturday. You know, it's you need to have cash as an option, and not everybody is kind of comfortable with using electronic payments. Yeah. There's fears yeah. around around fraud as well. People get their accounts cleaned out. So you know, I, 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 it's a very emotive issue, and people are furious at, at this idea that they're being railroaded, particularly by banks, to stop using cash because it it suits them. They'd prefer if you were using electronic payments. You know, A or B encountered a lot of negative stuff and ended up with an embarrassing U-turn when it tried to turn 70 of its branches cashless and take out the ATM machines. We've already had ATMs sold by the big banks. 1,200 ATMs were sold by Bank of Ireland and AIB. I mean, that's the main way you get cash is through your ATM. They were sold to unregulated entities, you know, so will they start charging soon for, for taking out cash? Your cash, in addition to your bank, maybe charging. Mm. Uh, we don't know about that. So, you know, I just think people just really, really resent this idea that they, they, you know that it's being t- dictated to them to stop using cash. They okay, like using just, cash. They're comfortable just, with it. When I mentioned that we were going to be, I was having you on to discuss this this morning. A number of people, and this all argument always comes up: that is, is cash legal tender, and, yeah. that, and that that businesses can't refuse cash. But that's not the case, is it? Yeah, it's very complicated. This was very surprising. You know, everybody thinks, ah, notes and coins, they're legal tender. That that was the classic definition. When I went to school and did business studies way back when, that was the definition of legal tender, you know, notes and coins. That's what I learned in my business studies. That has changed, apparently. According to the Central Bank, 
if a company or a service provider or somebody selling you something puts up a sign saying, we don't accept cash, you have to pay electronically, they are allowed to, to do that. But that's fine, you know. So that gets around this idea of cash and notes being legal tender. Now, the government are looking at getting around this and, 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 and the European Union as well is bringing out a directive which would mean that essential services would have to continue to accept cash. We're talking here about your GP, your pharmacist, your supermarket. Um, the, the government supports that move. Uh, it, it's likely to come in in an EU directive. I, I understand the government in, in favour of that, of, of, of mandating essential services as having to continue to accept cash. It's also going to be looked at in, in a new national payment strategy, which is due to, to happen next year. So they'll probably you know, make it very clear in that, that yes, electronic payments are fine, but you have to continue to accept cash in certain circumstances. But if it comes to a discretionary spend, you know, they won't have to accept cash. So if your cafe or your local coffee shop decides, we're not taking cash, lads, here's a big fat sign saying that, uh, that, that, that'll have to be the case and, uh, of uh, okay and I think that confuses a lot of people to think that their businesses have to take it listen Charlie pleasure as always thank you for that and thanks for joining us you're welcome. Uh, good you. morning to you. That is uh, Charlie Weston, personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. And actually just on cash being uh, legal uh, tender, I saw, uh, if I can find it now, there was a comment in from Michael to say, Patricia, many older people do not have a bank account or even a mobile phone, a laptop or either any other digital apparatus. Remember the infamous Bertie Ahern? He claimed he didn't have a bank account once upon a time. They have always used cash and cash only. On their behalf, I'm delighted to see cash being reinstated because cash is legal, legal tender and has to be accepted even by state bodies. Well, it's going to have to be accepted now by state bodies because of the minister uh, writing to all of the different uh, departments. But as you heard there from uh, Charlie, shops, private businesses are within their rights to put up a sign uh, saying we don't accept cash, we only accept cards. But of course, they run the risk then of actually losing business because of it. I just want to give a quick mention uh, to a call that we uh, received yesterday uh, it came in after the programme so I didn't get a chance to mention it and it kind of ties in with something that Charlie Weston said when we were talking about uh, cashless societies and how you know for a, uh, a proportion of, of people they don't want to do their business online, they don't want to be doing electronic uh, payments and they like the idea of cash and one of the reasons he says is there's so many scams out there at the moment and people are very afraid and very nervous of scams and we try to do our bit on the programme to alert and highlight as many of these scams, particularly when new scams scams start to uh, appear and one people have to be really really careful uh, about is clicking on anything on social media because you don't know for sure if it's a scam or not so a lady from Newmarket contacted us yesterday to say a friend of hers has been stung by a scam it was an ad that her friend saw that popped up on Facebook and it was coming from a company that was offering a money lending company. Now I've checked out the name of the company and the name of the company is a legitimate company but obviously the legitimate company had absolutely nothing to do with this scam and that's what the scam artists do. They'll actually use the name of a legitimate company and a legitimate company here in Ireland that is a money lending uh, company but they these crowds are scams. Anyway her friend Besser Hart was trying to borrow a thousand euro to go on holidays. Filled in all the details online through this Facebook ad ad, and her bank account was cleaned out within minutes. So please be very, very careful on any social media about clicking on anything on social media. If you see something that's named as a company, 
find out the company and go to the company's legitimate website to see if the offer is a genuine offer or not. And you remember, if it's too good to be true, it probably uh, isn't true. Now, lots of commentary coming in on the protests yesterday. Okay, people coming out in defence of the protesters. John and Cove fully supports the protesters outside Dáil Éireann yesterday. If he had his way, protests like this would happen every single day to get the message home, uh, to get the message home to the politicians for everything they've done to this country. According to John, they've destroyed this country financially from day one for their own uh, gain. He says, and he doesn't agree with those who are condemning what was done yesterday. So you're saying it's okay for a group of people to turn up uh, with a gallows and to intimate that if they had their way they would hang some of these politicians you're saying that's okay you're saying it was okay that they were spitting at people they were throwing bottles of urine which seemingly landed on some members of Angarda Chiacona I felt sorry for the Gardaí yesterday trying to do their job uh, as well Uh, and remember John at the end of the day it was 200 people it wasn't that tens of thousands of people uh, turned up to protest and yes while people might be angry with what's going on in this country I, I still find it hard for you to say that you would agree with everything that the protesters did uh, yesterday and probably in the midst of all the protesters there was some very genuine protesters who I imagine when they saw what was kicking off probably left very quickly. Uh, John in Mallow says I do not condone what happened yesterday but I feel that scenes like this and protests like this are only going to get bigger because people are fed up, particularly the ministers at the top. People are sick of the lack of housing, problems within our health service, etc. I don't hear anybody saying that the politicians are to blame. Well, I think that's exactly what the protesters were saying yesterday, John. John's worry is that it'll happen again as you have a certain element in society, but it's the politicians who need to realise a what a lot of what is going on, uh, a lot of what is happening is because what they are doing and saying, it is causing some people to get very, very angry in uh, society. And someone else by WhatsApp says, let's be honest, the TDs love what happened yesterday. If there had been a peaceful protest, the TDs would actually have to address the reason for the protests. Now they're just coming on and calling them all dole heads and a waste of space. They are delighted it went the way it did as it means they don't have to answer any of the real questions. Dennis is on uh, the line. And Good morning Dennis. You have an understanding of what happened yesterday. Good morning Patricia. Yeah, uh, thanks for bringing me on. I'll tell you look uh, I've been on with you before. I'm part of a family organisation and we've in recent years, we have people coming from all walks of life to our meetings, right? And yeah. highlighting a lot of things. But yes, like that man and the man before him said, I've been saying this for the last few years, and you can feel this thing coming, Patricia. You could feel something was going to happen. And I just feel myself that if this thing didn't nip in time, that it's going, it is going to get worse. Uh, yes, like you said, there is an element out there of people who love to see this happening and incite it because people that, you know, when you get people that are at some level and they're revved up, it's very easy to push them over the edge. Do you know, do you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could, I don't know if you watched, I watched a lot of the videos that were put up online by the far right yesterday and you could see it being fueled. You could see what, why what was being shouted and chanting. You could see they were trying to whip people up almost into a frenzy and that's when things get out of hand. Well, you see, this is the danger and we had I think the way I didn't watch it as well as I wrote and that I won't be watching it but um, to hear about it was enough 
Uh, but when we had the other article, I think somebody said, Kimo just believe me and said something about increasing the security around their house. Then you could see why maybe he would do that. But I would ask him to go and look at and, and ask himself, well, what brought these people here? Just like you said, yes, there were people that came to protest, but there was very still a lot of genuine people. And look, if you extend it in the street above the matter today and you ask people what they think, you will find that, yes, they'll condone what happened yesterday. But what, then they'll go into a speed about all the other things that are wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, look, we have our health system, our housing, um, even people like our students are dropping out of college. Why? Because their accommodation has been given away or because they can't afford. The part-time jobs are gone, by the way. I've found a few students recently and they tell me they're finding it very hard to get a part-time job wow. to support themselves. I'm yeah, so, which oh I thought God, was incredible. I'm, I'm surprised yeah. to hear that because we're constantly being told that there's yeah. full employment and, uh, you yeah. know, that we don't have enough workers see, to do the, the jobs. About it is we're being told an awful lot of things. But what's reality? That's what I'd be asking. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, uh, I'd rather see Katie Hannon there and, 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 uh, front, up front and on the night. Yeah. But they were discussing about the delegation and the effect it's going to have on the farming thing. Yeah. And then the, uh, it, the thing came up about, and there's no doubt about it, this is reality. This is going to happen, right? And there's no point in saying it didn't. But yes, there's an opportunity here for us to diversify. And I'd say that myself, uh, I've been saying for years, we can, there is an opportunity. The problem is that if we diversify into, we'll say, vegetables, fruits, maybe growing cereals, uh, any other thing we go into, right? Um, and we had in your own town there, as we, I often said to you before, you had the wrong trees, you had the air and foods, you had the sugar company out the road. The unfortunate thing is that we can do all that, but the profit has gone out of it for the people that, might, that would go into it because we can't compete with the products that are being brought in from abroad. And you know what? If you could sit and think about it, and the, and the quality of food we had here in Ireland, it's a shame to where the, where the whole thing is gone. And yes, diversification would be a great thing to see it. But if you can't make money out of it... What's the point? What's the, so, yeah. yeah, and I think what you're saying, and I can see a number of comments, uh, people saying the same thing, uh, the, the politicians need to listen to yes. the people and on the ground. that's what I said to Jean-Paul yeah. this morning. That it's the, the one thing I would say with it all is they have to start listening to the people. They have to start looking at reality. Look, there's people this evening and today banking billions out of what they're making out of us, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about, you know, this out of everyday living, right? And there's people this day, and I don't think I even have to go to Mala, probably in our own village, that probably are wondering how are they going to put a dinner on the table. Yeah, yeah, Patricia, yeah. there's something very wrong yeah, when that happens. Yeah, we're a country that we're told are, we're awash with money. Uh, because yeah. of the amount of money that's coming in, because of the amount of people that are at work, our taxation has increased, our VAT rate is, uh, every time they announce what's taken in in VAT, it seems to be going up our corporation tax, even though that's on the, we don't know how long that's going to last, but we, I'm getting tired of hearing we don't know how long that's going to last, because every year it just seems to go up. Well, so I think we, we have will... a lot of money, there's a lot of, but it's how it's been spent is the problem. Yeah, but come here, we were, we, you also had that during the week that they're mentioning about, um, that we'll, out of our, our, our tax take and so forth, that we'll be contributing to the European Union in yeah. the sense of monies will be taken from us. And look, it's like the derogation. Will this happen? Of course it'll happen. Because yeah. we're part of Europe. Anything that'll happen when you're part of anything will happen with you, with you as well. Do you know what I can do it? Okay. So actually, no it's, actually it's, 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 well, just want to have you on because, as you say, you are with a farming organisation. Uh, Pat earlier on sent in a text saying, our Minister for Agriculture is delaying our payments this year. We owe bills to the co-ops, etc. People are very disappointed with them not doing a good job. Are there delays with payments to farmers? Is that still well, ongoing? Well, that we'd be back at least a month and would they say a month could be six weeks and yes, there's bills, people, you know, they have a habit of paying people at certain times of the year and people expect to be paid. 
but you'd ask yourself the question, if the money is delayed, why is it delayed if we're awash with money? Like, you yeah, know what I mean? yeah, 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 there's, there's no... Is the money gone somewhere else? Like, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, look, maybe, maybe, maybe it isn't, maybe it's all there, but if it is there, why isn't it being paid? And you see, that's got to... And again, like, all them little things, right? They, you, they draw people, you know, they rev people up, and then yeah. you can see, and like, the danger is, like, we see different movements moving in yesterday, making comments on what happened in Dublin, right? And as I said to you there, there's an opportunity for them people uh, to rev the whole thing up and, and let things get a lot and escalated and things get a lot worse. But I think there's a fierce opportunity for the government to stand back now, look, it's the staff to tell them and say to themselves, come here, lads, you know what? There's a lot of things happening inside Dublin that we want to address. We need and to do so. Just, and, and, just and do very, very finally, yeah. there's been a lot of talk about uh, a, f- a farmer's party or a rural party. Can you see that taking off? You see, you could, on one hand you'd say it could. Right? Yeah. I know, because I, I, I think at the moment, if we were in an election, that anyone that will speak the right language uh, would probably be given a chance. Do you yeah. know the point I'm making? Yeah. Uh, but the unfortunate thing that you see is like having all the independence above and the doors, like, do they make much of a difference after? And, like, you know, uh, do we, you know, with the mainstream parties, it's hard to, to be held, according to that yeah, and maybe okay. you'll be held that right, but can you get anything they done? Need to, the yeah, I, I think if, if it is to make any impact, they all need to unite. They seem to be fragmented, yes. and, and, yes. and that's the problem. Yeah. All right, listen, and, and, yeah. Dennis, listen, thank you for your call and great to talk to you. Take care. Bye bye. 0818 Hi, this is Antoinette in Ahabolic. Hi, Patricia, listening to your debate. Um, and you said we can show our protest at the ballot box. Well, I didn't vote for a coalition government of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens. I felt the politicians in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael joined forces, something that Neil Martin said he would never do in the run-up to the election. He did it to stop the majority voters uh, the majority voters election electing a different party from taking them over. They overturned, I felt, what was the majority vote in the last election. So even to me, says Antoinette, a person's vote is uh, useless. Hi Patricia, people, especially working people, are very angry with politicians at the moment. Maybe a lot of those people yesterday were working people who took a day off work. But the gallows poster, I would have to agree, was a, was very extreme. Remember the water protests? Remember Joan Burton? She was held hostage in her car for hours. And at that time, there was a member of Dáil Éireann, i.e. Paul Murphy, was one of the protesters. So we have had angry protests uh, before. Hi, Patricia. This will tell you what the government is doing to this country. The Irish people will not take this the way the government is ruining our beautiful country. I feel this is a mock uh, government. They seem to be only looking after their own pockets. Hi Patricia, I do not condone what happened in the Dáil yesterday, but people are very angry. The Irish people feel like they are a forgotten people in their own country. They're feeling like second class citizens, no housing, no medical care. The TDs appear to be no longer representing their own people anymore. Some of our elderly are freezing in their own homes. Their food is limited. They can't pay bills. We have people coming in from every other country getting houses, medical cards, free medical care. The Irish are simply tired, Patricia, and they're worn down from being rolled over. Everything is thrown at them and it's a take it or leave it attitude. The politicians long ago in my era, Patricia, they were the ones that listened to the people. Never in my lifetime have I seen politicians 
needing security in Dáil Éireann. They have to listen or the people are going to get much more angry and that is something I really don't want, says a uh, texter. Hi Patricia, the people protesting, if you stop their social welfare, that might make them stop and uh, think. Mick says, hi Patricia, people before profit got their wish on Wednesday. They had actually asked people to come to the Dáil uh, to protest if they had their way they would wreck this country. I don't think it was the protesters that turned up, Mick was the ones the people for profit were looking for but yeah, I accept your point. And hi Patricia, just on a much lighter note, I saw a photo online of Deputy Michael Healy Ray near the Garda tractor. It was very funny. Haven't seen that yet but I will do my best to try to track it down this afternoon. Thank you. That's just some of your calls and comments that are coming in on the protests outside the Dáil yesterday. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Mobile tyre fitters are wanted in Mill Street. Now it's to provide call-out and breakdown services. Uh, you can apply with uh, by email to hr.ohtires at gmail.com or you can phone or text 086 The Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll, they've got vacancies for a veterinary nurse CVs to joanne.nevin at thedonkeysanctuary.ie While general operatives are wanted in a food environment it's wanted for work in the Ballyvourney area call 086 176956 coaches have full and part-time positions available for bus drivers with a D licence it's to work on school transport and for private hire call 021 4873828 and the Gallery Barn restaurant in Mallow they're recruiting for a chef floor staff and washing up staff please call the gallery on 022-20760 you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, Cork City's so called robot trees have come under scrutiny over a lack of data to justify their cost. Raising his concerns is uh, Peter Horgan of the Labour Party. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning, Patricia. I suppose just for the kind of the history lesson on this, just remind us when these were installed and do you have the price of how much they initially cost? Well, they were installed in 2021, but they were purchased in 2020. And the overall cost of the city trees or robot trees, as I I call them, um, came in at around €355,000. On top of that is a maintenance fee and the council have paid uh, under freedom of information requests that I've received, the council have paid uh, above 17000 for 2021 to 2022 maintenance. Now, that is meant to include what they call in the documents air care. And that's supposed to give you the data, as I understand it, for the particulate filters that are meant to be um, uh, taken out of the atmosphere and out of the area where these city trees are supposed to be placed in the city centre. The problem so far is that we still have not seen the data. And many councillors, including my own party colleague, John Maher, 
um, Bolin Ring of Sinn Féin, Colm Kelleher, Ophina Fall, Oliver Moore, and the Green Party have all tried at various points to try and get this data through questions at council, and they've just kept being given the, the hands-off approach saying that the data is being analysed. But it's being analysed for quite a long time now. And in my view, you know, we, we need to understand what it is exactly we have bought with the people's money. Yeah, and, and I saw the statement that was released to you by Cork City Council making that point that the performance data has been analysed at present and will be released once this analysis is completed. Did they give you any indication when they expect the analysis to be completed? Not in the Freedom of Information request that I did and there was nothing in even the most recent City Council meeting. I know Councillor Olden Ring after Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The question, and was given the same response, uh, just like there, that statement that it's being analyzed. So there's no timelines coming up. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know, you know, why they're there, really. You know, they, they say it's to take out particle filters in the air and, and, and reduce dust and whatnot. However, my view is that if you spend 350000 on actual trees, semi-mature trees around the city and suburbs, that would have had a far better impact on our on the area than, than these robot trees. Would and have. you would have gotten a lot of trees for €355,000. And if yeah, you were yeah. to do an extensive tree planting, you, I take it you wouldn't even need to spend anything close to that. No, I mean, you could do... I remember one local school in Beaumont doing it recently, and I think he got 100 trees for €100 Euro yeah. two years ago and was able to plant. But you could do a mixture of planting trees with schools, semi-mature saplings. You know, I'm not, I'm not a tree expert, but that's my, even my experience of it would be that you could do this in a much better way uh, than what was done. The problem that I find is that it's the lack of transparency around it. It's the fact that numerous councillors have been given the, the block wall uh, when they're trying to ask questions. I've had to go down the freedom of information route to try and find out the cost, for the final cost and whatnot, and there was problems with that as well. So it doesn't lend itself to a positive, climate-friendly project, which it should be or what it was meant to be. And I fear it's been a bit of greenwashing, in fact, because they're not, they're, we're not getting the data of what the city trees are doing. 
And for all intents and purposes, they're the most expensive trees that are looked at. Yeah, expensive bench yeah, that are looked at. We, we actually, the, Ken on the breakfast show mentioned that. He was only looking at them at the weekend in the city and, and he, saw, he thought the same thing. He just saw people sitting on it uh, as a bench. But OK, so they're, they're, in, they're, they're in place about two years. You would have thought, uh, you know, I would allow for a year have them up and running and then analyse the, the data. But like two years in, and as you say, they were bought in, in 2020, there does seem to be some delay with analysing the data, doesn't there? There seems to be something wrong. And since I raised this matter in ECHO and, and was on the Daily Mail and, and whatnot, people have actually contacted me from around the city who, in their morning commute, are walking past the street. And what one or two people have said to me is that the amount of water being put into them every day is absolutely extraordinary. Now, that didn't come up in the freedom information request that I asked for either, the amount of litres of water that they, requ- that they require. So, so I do think we need so more... They have, more I, I, they, so hang on, they have to be watered every day. Apparently so, yeah. They need to get certain water to prevent work. This is the problem. That there was no formal vote of council, either at committee level or at the full council level, to approve these trees. The council will say that it came from a certain government grant, but at the end of the day, it's public money. It's the people's money. And the council, the councillors are there as effectively, it once described to me as effectively as the board of directors of a company, and they should be safeguarding the people's money. This is a situation where I think the councillors need to be stepping in. They need to be flexing their muscles and say, hang on a second, you can't just go buying stuff that isn't going to work or isn't, isn't going to wash its own face. You know, there needs to be more answers on this. Okay, all right. And I, now, and I do know. Yeah, and it, it, it wasn't, it didn't come out of council funding. It came out for, out of the National Transport Authority uh, fund. Now, I, I did read in, in the paper that uh, Cork City Council, in, in their defence of it, they're quoting how these trees have been installed in other European cities, um, one of our nearest neighbours, London and um, Berlin. And they say they can clean about 80% of fine dust in the immediate uh, vicinity. But prove it to us is what you want to say. Show well, us the, the data. Yeah, show us the data. And, and it's not much good as a cleaning 80% of fine dust if someone's sitting on the bench smoking a cigarette or a vape, an e-vape at the same time. So there needs to be some sort of reality put on, into the situation because what this actually can do is actually it might end up damaging climate-friendly projects in the future in the city centre and in other places because now we have a bit like the event centre, we have a sideways look now at a climate-friendly project with the robot trees. So the next time that the city city centre come up with something that's a bit climate climate positive, there's going to be naysayers out saying, "Well, how much did you waste on the on the robot trees?" So there, there's a big problem there, and at the heart of it, personally, I feel it's to do with transparency. And I, if I can just for a second, Patricia, there, there's a city in South Bend, Indiana, in the United States. Mm-hmm. Its former mayor was Pete Buttigieg, who's the current U.S. Secretary of Transportation. He ran for president. A number of years ago, he signed a pro-transparency directive for the city council he was mayor of, and that they would essentially publish everything onto a transparency hub. If you have a look at the South Bend Transparency Hub online, you'll see it's a wealth of information. It's not a silver bullet, but what it does is that it takes back the curtains and allows people to see exactly what the city council is spending on down to nickels and dimes on a month-by-month basis. And it lets you see how many dog fouling fines have issued, how many traffic fines are issued, where's the most places you're going to get a, a, a parking fine, where's the crime happening in your area. It's a brilliant setup, and that's what we need to do 
in Cork. Be transparent. And County. We okay. need to publish oh. everything. All right. Just but, get everything but out there. Just go back on, on cleaner uh, air. I mean, we do know, uh, well, this is according to um, figures from the EPA, that air pollution can cause up to, I think it's something like 1,300 uh, deaths every year. We do have to do something about air pollution. You do accept that. 100%. 100%. And I want the City Council to be front locked centre on that. But what we don't have a city council doing, I have not, in, in for years, I have not seen any sort of uh, public relations uh, uh, attempt by city council to encourage people to use public transport. A number of months ago, they came out and said the, the roads in Cork City are over capacity, we can't do anymore. Rather than that being a clarion call to get on the bus, get on the train, we have nothing to show for that. Yet we have, like, the robot trees. So the point is, is that if we're going to, if we need to reduce uh, emissions, and we, which we desperately do, and we need to increase public transport. We need the city council to be the, the driver of that. Yet when the bus connect plans come out, city council take a backward step and say nothing to do with us, Jack. It's NTA. Where it should it should be the NTA? It should be the NTA and city council in lockstep, telling people the benefits of public transport. There should be adverts on your radio station. There should be adverts on all the local papers and national papers telling people the benefits of getting the bus in for a bite to eat in the city centre or in any county town around Cork. So what we don't have, we don't have a, a, a public transport champion either in the executive or the elected members of City Hall at the moment. And we need that because we need to reduce the over-reliance of single-use vehicles that we have at the moment in Cork. So are you, in, are you very much in favour of the car-free day on Saturday? Oh, 100%. 100%. 100% I, I, I actually hope that there's more than one in the next few because you can't just, you can't just look at one issue one day in, in, in isolation. We need a number of these to see how it actually impacts it, how it impacts the city centre, how it impacts people's driver behaviour, how it impacts people's public transport behaviour. And like the, you know, it, it, it's shown, the data has shown internationally, and we, we have this data apart from, unlike the robot trees data, the data has shown that actually pedestrianised streets and people that have, that can walk and cycle into city centres end up actually spending more. You spend more time in a city centre and you spend more of your money on goods and services. And that's got to be good for City for Cork. Okay. But, but, but I have to say, and, and I did think about the car-free day when I saw a piece that you were uh, quoted in earlier on uh, on the week where I think, again, it was under Freedom of Information, you discovered that a million euro was paid out by the City yeah. Council over the last five years. Um, footpath claims, okay. obviously, yeah. trips trips and, and falls. We need, and, and particularly if we want people, we want to pedestrianise our, our streets and we want more people actively out walking and enjoying our beautiful city. We need serious investment in footpaths. This is this is what I'm talking about for some time now. We need for the council to get back to basics, to a belt and brace approach, the simple things right. And what's the simple things? A good footpath, a good road, so that you can cycle and drive on a road in safety, whether that's on a bus or on a bike. That's the same thing with a footpath, that it's a, there's a good footpath that you can access in your area, in the city centre, and that it allows you to, to commute, for want of a better word, around the place. That's what we need to do. I mean, there's an area on Albert Road, if you know it, um, just there, uh, a pedestrian crossing the bike carriage tool tire. At one side, the, the curb is dipped, and the other side, the curb is absolutely enormous. So I've been that soldier in a buggy trying to get the buggy back up over the curb. If you're someone with mobility issues, you've no hope of crossing over that pedestrian area. And that's 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 where we want people to live in in, in the beginning of the inner city, you know, for inner city living. So, like, we need to do a lot better. The problem that we're coming up against with, and I'm working with Sean Trella quite a lot on this, the problem we're coming up against with is that 
the, the Eamon Ryan will not allow active travel funding to be retrofitted to older estates. And that's where the issues are. The issues are in older estates where footpaths have cracked over years and between bad, bad parking, bad, bad weather issues, they're, they're not fit for purpose. We need to get the funding that's there for active travel as well and be able to retrofit, retrofit that to older estates and improve it so that there isn't as, as, any falls and any, any, any chances of falls that can happen whether you're two or whether you're 22 or whether you're 92. Yeah, yeah, and end up paying all that kind of uh, money from the from the council's coffers. Okay, we leave it there. Uh, Peter, listen, thank you for that. Thank and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Labour Party rep in the city, Peter Horgan. Your uh, thoughts on those robot uh, trees? Have you noticed them uh, in the city? You know, are there, are, I think if we could just find out for sure that they are doing what they're doing, because, you know, there was a lot of money uh, spent on them and I didn't realise that there was so much money has to be spent every year on maintenance and I certainly wasn't aware that they need to be watered uh, every day. I thought one of the idea the the robotic trees was that they wouldn't need uh, so much water but it turns out that they do need uh, water but we need to find out we need the, the, the Council need to, they say they're analysing the data, but they need to release that data, especially as they've been up two years. They surely have the first year's data, the second year's uh, data. And I wonder what is the reason for the delay. 0818 103 103. Just on NCTs that we were talking about in the last hour, your national car test, Mervyn, in uh, Bandon, uh, picking up on the Filipino mechanics that are being employed. We know that there is a shortage of Irish mechanics to work within the NCT centres. So Atlas have gone overseas and they've gone to the Philippines. I don't know why, actually. I never could find out why the Philippines, uh, whether they are, they are trained as mechanics the same way our Irish mechanics are trained. I don't know why it is. But anyway, it seems uh, to be uh, the Philippines is where mechanics would like to uh, move from the Philippines and come to um, Ireland. Uh, Mervyn says, picking up on what Kevin said, that they don't pay well in the NCT centre. And I don't know what is the average wage for a tester at an NCT centre. But Mervyn reckons they must be paying good if uh, men from the Philippines, I'm assuming they're all men, there might be some women, if they're willing to come to, Ar- come to Ireland and relocate, some of them will be in Dublin. Well, actually, Mervyn, we heard all of them will be in Dublin, according to the Oireachtas Committee meeting uh, yesterday, all the ones that have come in, 52 of them, all of them are going to be in Dublin. Um, Mervyn says, surely they must be getting paid well, because where are they going to be housed? Do they realise the cost of rent, particularly the cost of rent in Dublin? I did think of that, actually, um, and that was before I realised that all of the ones that have been recruited have gone to Dublin. I was thinking of them coming to NCT centres around the country, thinking they'll have problems even trying to find and access private rented uh, accommodation. But if you're, lo- if you're landing them all all in Dublin. I don't know what their living accommodations uh, are and I don't know if we're going to be able to find out uh, or not, Mervyn, but that thought went through my head as well. And someone else says, a simple solution to the NCT and car testing would be to allow local garages, give them the relevant test equipment and people should be able to go along and get their cars uh, tested and then if their cars need to be serviced or anything needs to be fixed, they could be fixed at the local garage. Similar, I'm assuming, in what you're thinking is what they do in the UK where all of the local, well, not all of the local garages, but proportion of local garages. Every area you'll see, if you're anywhere in England, you'll see signs for there, the equivalent of their DOE, I think isn't it, is their equivalent of their NCT. But it's your local garage actually does the test for you. Oh. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie 
Cork Today on C103. What has been described as priceless artefacts uh, recovered from the Lusitania liner are set to be showcased at the Lusitania Museum and Old Head Signal Tower in Kinsale. And to give us a flavour of what people can expect to see tomorrow night, I'm joined by Shannon Ford, who is the museum's um, manager. Uh, Good morning to you, Shannon. Hello, how are you? Um, I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. Now, the background, how how did these artefacts come into your possession at the museum? Yeah, so I suppose they all kind of have different backgrounds. Um, To talk about, we have some plates and cutlery that were recovered from the wreckage. These were recovered back in the 1980s um, in dives that took place back then. And they'd been in the possession of Greg Bemis, who was the the previous owner of the wreck. he passed away in 2020 and he, um, I suppose, donated these items to the museum here for display in the in the museum. Um, we also have items that have been donated to the museum by family members um, of people who were on the Lusitania. So we have um, a baptismal cup that was used um, in the baptism of uh, a little boy called John Stevens, who was on the Lusitania. Um, he died um, ah. and this baptismal cup was rededicated to his nephew um, in 1944. And last year he contacted us. He wanted to donate it to the museum here for display. Um, So there's loads of different items. We also have a deck chair, um, which was um, purchased by local family here who now have loaned it to the museum. The deck chair was salvaged um, in the days after the Lusitania sinking by a Cork-based salvage company called Enzer & Co. Um, So we have that on display now as well. Um, But a lot of these items, I suppose, that we have, like the plates and the cutlery um, and the baptismal cup, they're incredible items, I suppose. They're very much, very much um, tangible links to it, but they're very human. Um, and we'd love to be able to display them all the time. But I suppose at the moment, we just don't have the the facilities to do so. So we have been looking at getting um, funding together for um, museum grade cases to go into the museum. And uh, only in recent days, we've actually got approval for that. So hopefully next well year, a lot of these items will actually be permanently. Yeah, it'd be, lo- it'd be wonderful to have them on a permanent yeah. display. And even though, you know, everybody knows the history of the Lusitania, the ship was mm. uh, torpedoed. Um, a yeah. lot of the items are in incredibly good condition. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's what... Um, I find so remarkable as well, especially the plates. Um, you know, so when the Lusitania was torpedoed, it happened in the middle of the afternoon, about 10 past two in the day. So a lot of people were at lunch, sitting at lunch, um, and they would have had items like these plates and knives and forks in front of them when this all started unfolding. Um, there's an account from a, a waiter. He was a second class waiter, William Rose, and he'd been waiting on a table of eight people and he had just cleared their table. So he had a big stack of plates in his arms as the torpedo struck the ship. Um, he ultimately survived and he recalled how he dropped all of those plates. So I'm sure the plates that we have aren't aren't those ones because those mustn't yeah. have um, survived. Yeah. yeah. And are they, the are they incredibly delicate? I've been thinking of the era Absolutely. that they, they were in. Yeah, they're 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 immaculate. You know, they're they're Wedgwood plates. Oh. They have the Wedgwood and Cunard logos printed on the back of them. Um, and they're beautiful. Some of these aren't even chipped, you know, so I think it's incredible to think that they went through this. You know, it's quite a chaotic sinking. It only took 18 minutes for the ship to sink um, and went through all of this and went 300 feet um, below with the with the ship and came back up in one piece. Um, and, you know, these are these are all very, again, very human items. They're things that very much help to tell the story of just the human experience, you know. As you said there, you know, everyone knows about the Lusitania. It's a very significant event historically and it's very controversial. 
And I suppose when it's discussed, then it's also it's mostly discussed often in the in that wartime context and, you know, the political manoeuvring that was going on at the time. But at the core of it, you know, you just have all these people, you know, the ship was carrying over 1900 people um, who got caught up in this. Uh, and so these items very much um, demonstrate just the human impact of this event, really, I think. Yeah. And uh, the people who sadly didn't uh, make it, those whose bodies mm. were recovered are, are, are buried here with us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. The, most of the, the bodies that were recovered were buried in, in Queenstown, uh, which is Cove now. Um, and most of the bodies were never recovered. You know, there was over 900 bodies never recovered at all. Um, so I suppose that's one of the reasons that the, the wreckage now is it's an underwater heritage site. So it's, it's very well looked after. The museum here are now the custodians of the wreck. So, you know, anyone looking to dive in it, they have to get licenses to do so. Um, but there is a preservation order on the wreck now. So actually nothing can be um, recovered from it at the moment. It's very much just kind of... Um, it's a grave left as it is at yeah, the moment. and it's a, it's a grave it's a little bit like the Titanic it's Absolutely. a grave um, uh, yeah. to so many and there was another uh, lovely story about a money belt from someone yeah. who actually survived yeah so that was Alice Middleton so she was a lady originally from Liverpool and she'd been living in America for a number of years she was coming back on the Lusitania because her father had passed away and she was hoping to bring her mother back to America with her um, she was on the Lusitania and she was actually one of the people sitting at lunch when the Lusitania was struck. She was sitting with a few other Irish girls. Um, she spoke about how they could see the, the coast of Ireland out of, the, out of one of the portholes. Um, when the ship was torpedoed, she managed to get herself up onto the deck. She described how difficult it was because the ship was listing severely. Um, and she was given a life belt, um, a life jacket, which afterwards she identified the man to have been Alfred Vanderbilt, who was, I suppose, one of the most prominent uh, victims of the sinking. He was from the, the New York Vanderbilt, a very privileged man. He died and was never recovered. But she was given this life jacket. She ended up in the water um, and she ultimately became unconscious in the water and her body was pulled out of the water and she was taken back to Cove as well. But when they took her out of the water and brought her to Cove, they did think she was dead. Um, she'd been badly injured. She'd injured her neck and they, they didn't see any life signs of life in her. And I suppose you've got this influx of hundreds of bodies being brought in. So they brought her into a morgue and it was oh. only through someone else going through the morgue trying to identify one of their own relatives that they saw this lady's fingers, her kind of her small finger was kind of moving a little bit. So she was given attention and they realised she was alive um, and she ultimately survived. Um, and so last year, one of her granddaughter, um, Jackie McDougall, Wiener, she lives in America and so she'd, she'd com- uh, contacted one of the committee members here um, and she donated an item of clothing that her grandmother was wearing uh, during the sinking so we have that in the museum now and Jackie actually came over last year as well and spoke for us um, on the anniversary we do a, a little um, ceremony here every year on the anniversary on the 7th of May so she spoke about her grandmother's experience and she, you know, she was holding the item of clothing that her grandmother had been wearing um, I think everyone was very moved by mm. it um, you know just very simple item of clothing um but yeah there's remarkable stories like that and there's a lot of stories of people who were you know pulled out of the water and you know they they seemed lifeless um and i'm sure a lot of people you know when they were initially pulled from the water they may have been alive but just very weak um it may have so, subsequently died. You don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You listen. Yeah. You you are an absolute mine of information uh, on the Lusitania. Good on you. I can you. see. I can see why you're the manager of the museum. So tomorrow <laughs> night, it's a, it's a, it's a special night for Culture Night, and you're yeah. open from what time? So we'll be open at seven, um, okay. and we'll be having a talk here about a lot of these human experiences using these artifacts um, that we have here now. Um, I would just say if anyone does want to attend, just to send us an email because we have very limited space here. So just to ensure that they'll have a place. Um, okay. 
they can email us at info at oldheadofconcale.com and, and we, it's free to return we certainly will have you back on again because I know you're heading towards phase three um, uh, and it, getting yeah. the museum up and running we will, we will speak again uh, Shannon in the meantime thanks enjoy you, tomorrow night and thanks for joining thank us uh, good morning to you bye bye that is uh, Shannon Ford who is with the Lusitania um, Museum in Kinsale if you want to go along uh, tomorrow night for Culture Night this week in our Ours to Protect uh, series tomorrow we'll be looking at EB what is EB? It's Cork's first e-bike share scheme and it provides an efficient effective and environmentally friendly form of transport for people to use in Cork City and this will be particularly relevant for anybody who's going into the city for car free day on uh, Saturday so that's on our Ours to Protect feature tomorrow at about 11.45 and there's going to be a huge welcome home for Connor Shanahan in Kilavolan. Uh, tomorrow night at about a quarter to seven and of course this was following uh, Connor's victory at the Drift Masters European Championship Grand Finale which was held in Warsaw last uh, weekend. Uh, the car in which Connor won the title, that's his Toyota GT86 will be driven through the village of Kilavolan and will be on display for tomorrow evening alongside the Drift Masters European Championship uh, trophy. And I imagine there will be a big, big crowd turning out tomorrow from 6.45 to welcome home uh, Connor Shanahan in uh, Kilavolan. And thank you to the Charleville uh, Heritage Society who have pointed out as a kind of a word of warning to anybody planning to visit uh, Charleville that there is a hotel, there was a hotel showing up on Booking.com and the name of the hotel was Remote Universe Hotel and it says on um, on Booking.com that it's the address is 35 Main Street in uh, Charleville. No such hotel exists so it's obviously a scam. Now we've gotten on to Booking.com and they have removed it but just to make people aware of that and, and uh, for anybody who's planning on visiting Charleville of course that's what we all do. We go on Booking websites like Booking.com and we try to find find something in the centre of town or as close to where you're ever going to be if you've got to visit uh, somewhere. So when you see something on a main street, you think, oh, that'll be ideal, it'll be centrally located. The hotel, remote universe hotel does not exist and gorgeous photographs of hotel hotel rooms obviously robbed from some other legitimate uh, hotel. 0818 103 103. Somebody says, would you say well done, please, to Orla Hayes from Canturk. She won the Farmerette class in the ploughing yesterday and also her brother who came second in his class on uh, Tuesday. Don't know the brother's name and it's simply coming in from somebody who was a spectator at the ploughing, the National Ploughing Championship. So well done. Orla Hayes in Cantalk won the Farmerette class uh, yesterday. And from Baden Temple was listening to uh, Shannon Ford talking to us about what's happening for Culture Night in Kinsale and it's some of the some of the very rare artefacts from the Lusitania are going to be going on display one night only if you want to go along uh, and says what lovely stories Shannon told particularly about some of the lives that were lost on the Lusitania may all of those poor victims rest in peace uh, with the angels yeah I could have spoken to Shannon I was saying to John Paul when we went into news I could have spoken to her all day I love people people who are that knowledgeable about the topic that they're interested in and obviously she's the museum's manager so she's 
she sounds like she's she's sleeping and breathing the knowledge of the Lusitania and she speaks with such passion and such knowledge I could have spoken to her all day we definitely will have her back on again because they have big plans to develop that museum in Kinsale 0818103103 I was chatting with Peter Horgan the Labour Rep for Cork City now he, he joined us initially to talk about the robot trees but then I just happened to mention that I'd seen he'd done a freedom of information request to find out the amount of money that the City Council has paid out on trips and falls and slips on footpaths and um, um, more than a million has been paid out in the last five years from people tripping up on footpaths. That's prompted somebody to say, listen with great interest to what Peter Horgan had to say about footpaths in the city. Uh, And he is spot on. I was at the bus stop outside the Carrigaline Court when a visually impaired woman who was using a long white cane passed by. As she went by, I saw to my horror that she just barely missed, literally by millimetres, a lip in the middle of the pavement. There is no need for this lip. It is very much like a tripping uh, hazard that was put there to trip people up. It should be smoothed out or somebody will end up having a bad fall. Thank you for that. No name on that. Kevin is back to us. Kevin had gotten on to us when we were talking about the NCT centres and the fact that Atlas say they can't get Irish mechanics to work. There's a shortage of mechanics and that's why they're going overseas and they're bringing in people from the uh, Philippines instead. And Kevin said, it's the pay. And I said, I don't don't know how much mechanics are paid at the NCT centre. But Kevin is a man in the know because he went for an interview at the NCT centre. And believe me, he said the pay is simply, I won't use that word, very low. Well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, he, he couldn't work for what they were offering him. And then I mentioned about the accommodation crisis and what would, where were these Filipino workers who were coming into Dublin? Where are they going to live? Well, Kevin reckons it could be similar to what happens in a local meat factory near him where Brazilians have come from Brazil to work because they can't get workers here in Ireland. These people are bunched in together in apartments paid for by the meat factory where buses are provided provided every day to bring them to and from work and then pay is taken from their wages to go towards the cost of the accommodation. I know what I'm talking about so the NCT centres would probably do something similar with the Filipino workers which really doesn't sound right when we're bringing workers that we badly need into this country they should be treated right when they're coming in particularly when they're coming in to do uh, services that we all benefit from. 0818 103 103 We've been speaking about cashless society on the programme today. Some of your thoughts on that. Listen, says, talking about the cashless society. Well, I was at the ploughing championship yesterday and as everybody knows, you are being encouraged to pay by card and book your tickets online. So I went along and I only had a card with me. But would you believe most of the chip vans and the fast food that was on sale to feed the good people at the ploughing were cash only. Oh, God. (laughs) Such a a huge irony in that. And actually, that comes up as well. Um, I've I've heard it countless times with the GAA encouraging people, you know, to only pay by card or to book their tickets online. And then when people go in to get a programme, it's all done in cash. It just never makes any sense to me. It's either all cashless or it's all cards or it's a combination of uh, both. It's it's frustrating for people then who only show up with a card and then can't buy anything because all the food is uh, cash only. Hi, Patricia. I actually object to all of these cashless society rules. I watched yesterday on the Cork to Dublin train so many people that would love to have purchased something from the tea and coffee and food trolley that was going up and down 
the train only to be told it's credit card or debit card payment only. Many of these people were possibly from rural areas of Cork and Kerry. Many of them would have got on the train very, very early in the morning and could have done with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. I also see the NDLS are now being obliged to accept cash, which is another positive. Yeah, that's what we spoke about earlier. Lastly, many attendees at the ploughing wouldn't have been... I'm wondering would attendees at the ploughing, which was significantly down, has that anything to do with the fact that they were encouraging people to book online and go cashless? I actually refused to go to the ploughing because of this restriction, says this uh, listener. And actually numbers were down day two yesterday and the weather was better yesterday on day one. We know it was bad and the weather forecast was bad, but the weather was certainly better yesterday. But the numbers yesterday were way down. The official total for yesterday passing through the gate, 71,800. Now you compare that to day two last year. That's when they were at 115,000 and that's one of the reasons that Annamie McHugh said they went over over the 100,000 which they say is the safe number of people that can be allowed in and that's why they went for booking online. So that's a huge, huge drop for day two. There'd already been a drop on day one. Day one's figures was 66,250 and that was significantly down on the over 90,000 who were there the year before and we await for the final day today uh, to find out what the overall figures are. But traditionally day two of the ploughing is always the the busiest day so that doesn't bode well I'd say the numbers are going to be way down and if they are way down will they look next year at this booking online and realise that it did have an effect on some people uh, attending because even if they reach capacity today of the 100,000 then the numbers will still be down on uh, previous years which means less money uh, coming into the National Ploughing Championships and the organisers. But there was a bit of good news out of the ploughing yesterday outside of Orla from Kentuck winning her farmerette category. Uh, There is also some good news in that it looks like a Guinness World Record was set by the good people of uh, Macra. They were out to break a Guinness World Record for throwing wellies. Now I thought it was going to be how far you could throw the wellies but you literally just need to toss the welly up into the air. It looked like a great bit of fun what I saw on the TV. An original record had been set at an agricultural show in England in 2018 and the record was 792. Well the lads and lassies of Macra and everybody else who attended the ploughing smashed that record. They reckon 995. Now they do have to wait for the official confirmation obviously to come come from the officials of Guinness and they'll confirm that in the next number of weeks and then it will be entered into the Guinness Book of Records. And we are waiting today uh, to find out who is Ireland's favourite saint. This is something that's been going on uh, over the last three days at the ploughing championship. It's a mission to discover Ireland's most loved Saint and it's been led by Bishop Dennis Nulty of uh, Kildare. Now listening to yesterday some of the people who voted, Patrick and Bridget were doing quite well. I would have to say if I was at the ploughing and I was giving my vote, it would have to be good old St Anthony. I rely on that man so much and he makes a fortune out of me because my late mother used to always say, when you pray to St Anthony for finding things or whatever you ask him to do, he's a businessman and you have to pay. So he's made a fortune out of me over the years. So he would be a favourite saint of mine uh, for sure. Would you have a favourite saint? Would you be going with the, the St. Patrick and St. Bridget, which seem to be, be quite popular? And I'm wondering how, where Padre Pio fares out in all of this because there's a lot of people have um, great devotion to Padre Pio as well. 0818103103. Just staying on the ploughing and the cashless, um, Dan, oh yeah, Dan is making that same point, the fact that they got people to book on uh, line uh, um, 
he's reckoning that the num- that that's affecting the numbers who have attended the ploughing. Frank says, I'm in my 70s and I find handling cash to be unhygienic. I always use my debit card and I keep hearing of older uh, people who do not know or who do not want to use cards. That's wrong. It's not the, uh, the case. There are many of us who do use um, debit and uh, credit cards. Yeah, but I think the figure that has come out, come out, the official figure is something like 650,000 older people don't use debit or credit cards. But listen, when we say not all people, there, are, there will be a percentage of older people who are very tech savvy, very up to date with what's going on online and very up to date when it comes uh, to using their debit and their uh, credit cards. 0818 103 103, our lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community Community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The Bear Island Arts Festival, uh, that is opening today and runs through until the 24th of uh, September with art exhibitions, daily lectures, theatre with the Peninsula Players, photography workshops, writing workshops. There'll also be a military history tour, musical performance, and they'll have a little bit of dancing at the crossroads. There will be a lecture by Tony Harper, MA, on the origin of Middleton College, a family affair. It's a half seven tonight. Tickets are 10 euro, available at the door, or you can pre-book on Eventbrite. Also today, Ducas Clonakilty Heritage are hosting a public talk by Robert Devoy of UCC on the effects of the Lisbon tsunami of 1755 and it altered much of the coastline landscape of West Cork and other areas. Goes ahead in Clonakilty GAA Pavilion, half eight tonight. Admission is five euro at the door and no pre-booking is required. Kildallery Community Office will hold their next draw for the Community Lotto. Four o'clock today, the jackpot is €10,400. And Kinsale Culture and Heritage Society are hosting a lecture on the Battle of Kinsale, given by Dr Herman Morgan, head of the School of History at UCC. That's on tonight at 8 in the Temperance Hall in Kinsale. And Blarney and District Historical Society have an illustrated lecture entitled Childhood Memories of Monard Mills. That's on tonight at 8. The venue is Blarney Secondary School and the speaker is Christine O'Flynn. All are welcome, non-members, for Euro. And you can visit their website, blarneyhistory.ie. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. But I want to go to some calls coming in about cashless society and cash versus card. Eleanor is in Carrigaline. Good afternoon to you, Eleanor. Good afternoon, Patricia. You, How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, you're picking up on coffee, some coffee shops and some businesses will put up a sign saying we won't take cash card only. What's your view on that? My view on that, Patricia, is that it's absolutely ridiculous in the first place because it's not so long ago that they were complaining about the um, VAT and all those sorts of things and they were trying to encourage people to come into their establishments, etc., etc., for whatever you want inside. So if you're going in on a regular basis and all of a sudden you see a sign to say uh, cash only, uh, you're going to take your business elsewhere because an awful lot of people, I in particular, are in my senior years and wouldn't have facilities to acquire that. 
so therefore, if I sat down, as I said to John Paul on the phone, uh, uh, and I was Judge Judy, <laughs> uh, put on your listening ears or put on your watchful eyes or whatever you want to say about it. You could eat the steak and maybe not have the money to pay for it yeah, when you get yeah, up. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't have a, a card on you, um, how are you supposed to pay for what you ever have? But in particular, I think if the sign is in a, a place that you can actually see it and read it, and there's a group of people, especially if you're in an organisation or if you're a busload of people, which we have in Carrigaline this morning, there's thousands of people mulling around, and they go into a particular establishment and they see notices up, say cash only, they're going to walk out the door because, particularly the visitors now, but I mean, people who don't have the cash on them mm. would... Or, or, or a card only, or whatever, whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and I mean, they would walk out I've, and these establishments are losing their money. Yeah, and that listener who was saying that they were on the Cork uh, to Dublin train yesterday and the amount of people who were trying to get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and of course if you are going on the train it's great that the trolley service is back but that's that's card only and uh, again, you get on the train dying for a cup of coffee, a cup of tea only to discover if you don't have a card with you you, you, you can't get anything. It just seems yeah, so there, unfair. There's another point as well, that if you were going to one of those establishments and you go in and you purchase your cup of coffee or whatever, and you come outside now because there's a lot of places on the outside, and um, you decide that you want to drink a water or something like that, uh, you go in and you get a bottle of water. But I mean, equally, you can walk across the street and buy it in the shop for a less money. Mm etc et and come over and sit down and drink it. Mm. But I mean, I, I think the whole general thing of cashless society is well, that's why it's good. It's good to see the finance minister, Michael McGrath. He's now writing to all of the government departments saying that they, whoever they're dealing with, they can't refuse cash. It'll be interesting to see will that cover the trains? Will that cover Irn Rodeiro? Well, it would be very interesting to mm. notice, but I mean, it, it, it also might give a wake-up call to some of the restaurants who are operating the service. Because they, they definitely are losing business. They definitely are losing they business. They definitely are losing business. And I mean, we all know with the current financial crisis across the board of restaurants and every other establishment that is in business, that if they don't offer a cash society, that they are personally going to, uh, possibly going to lose um, they'll suffer. Business. They'll suffer. They they need they'll to have suffer, both. and then they'll be back on radio stations, other <laughs> things like saying that they're going to have to do this, that, and the other thing, or even the eventualities that they may have to close. Yeah. Okay. Listen, Eleanor. Thank you for that. Good words okay. of wisdom. Let me go to Mick in Butterfant, uh, who's highlighting when things can go wrong with cards. Good afternoon, Mick. Hello, Patricia. Yeah, I'm I'm very well. Now, this was uh, an incident that happened at Cork Airport. That's right, yes. Uh, in the Sedona, you know, where you go in and you go into the Sedona area, you, you know, just to collect um, passengers. Yeah. And uh, she was old and she couldn't go to the, the car park, you see. So I had to collect her, yeah. But, and we come out and she had a credit card with her English one and uh, I had an Irish one. And uh, I, I couldn't remember the, the PIN number, but uh, she had her one. And they wouldn't accept it, and there was no place for cash. You you would do a payment with the card. So you were at the bar. Are you at the barrier now, trying yeah, to get out? Barrier, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so what happened? Uh, we, we could have <laughs> there for ages, and uh, we're pressing the button to talk to someone. Yeah. But they eventually came on after a long time, and um, we tried the card several times, and it got stuck inside. You know, wouldn't release the card, and then um, he said, uh, "Give him the number," and. 
he take them but it was you had the credit card and and <laughs> how how much was the tenner for about a half an hour a tenner for the get out yeah 10 euro yes yeah and you yeah. were you were only going to to pick up I didn't think it was that expensive. Yeah, yeah. And would it not just let you tap? You know, contactless. Could, could you not just tap it on the screen for the tap? No, no. No, no. No, no. And and uh, hopefully there wasn't a queue of cars behind yeah, you. Was... Behind us, and they're backing away, and to go down. Oh, two, two. And then you're under pressure to try and get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So technology doesn't always work, is your point? Yeah. No, well, no cash. You couldn't put any cash into it. But suppose you hadn't um, uh, credit you card. Yeah, if you didn't know, if you didn't know, yeah, yeah. yeah so we eventually gave him the number, and we got through that way. I, I can't believe that you were charged a tenner for a half and, an hour. Yeah, tenner can open screen up for the for a half an hour yeah. of parking to pick up. There might be a bit old, half an hour, wouldn't it? You know, yeah, okay. Yeah, because I think I think you I think you get the first fifteen minutes free. Well, I don't know about that. No, yeah, <laughs> I think you do. It's a sit down area, you know, you know, when you. When you're coming out. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, once upon a time, not so long ago, that was free. You could just park and, and go I know, and get yes, it. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, Mick. Thank you for that. Uh, showing okay, that technology yeah. can go wrong and it has gone wrong. We saw that in the Aviv. I remember that football match with all the Americans over and they ended up having to get the free food. Now, very quickly, and, and my apologies because I'm not going to get to all of the commentary that has come in today, but I just want to do a quick run through on some of the uh, texts that came in uh, to do with the Dáil protests. But way too many for us unfortunately to, even though we will I promise you uh, we do read all of them but we just don't get to read all of them out on air Hi Patricia I don't know much I don't know much about the Dáil protest and what happened uh, yesterday but all I will say is the politicians need to start listening there will be more water charge type protests the politicians say that we have this big revenue surplus yet Ireland is in a massive debt and normal people are struggling with the cost of living crisis and we hear now that electricity and gas prices will not be coming down, certainly for the foreseeable future. Laughable that the regulator supports the energy companies. Meanwhile, politicians are planning to flitter away some of that tax surplus that they're talking about. They should be paying down some of our national debt. They should be maintaining supports to counteract the cost of living and improving infrastructure in hospitals and schools and on our roads. Ireland today, says this texture, is like France of the 1700s with Marie Antoinette of the Dáil saying, let them eat cake, cake that we can't afford. Our TDs need to cop on, says that texter. Hi, Patricia, I think if the Irish people want to protest, then please do it, but do it peacefully and make their grievances heard. Look at the protests in France. They managed to stop everything and the government listened. Why can't the Irish organise peaceful protest. I think the name calling and the spitting and the throwing of urine was totally uncalled for yesterday. We pay our taxes and our charges and we we, we now need to see Leo step up and say enough is enough. Uh, he needs to listen to the hardworking taxpayers. Someone else says, Patricia, there was a farmers party. Remember when we mentioned this earlier in Ireland? They actually won seven seats in the first general election. That's from Coleman in White's Cross. Thanks, Coleman. And Micah says, Patricia, I'm listening to your caller earlier, Dennis. And I agree wholeheartedly with everything Dennis had to say. I think what happened yesterday at Southside Dáil Éireann is a wake-up call to us all 
and especially to our politicians. We as a country and a people, uh, many uh, of our predecessors fought with their lives to give us this democracy. If the government don't wake up, we will be in a really serious crisis. The extremists on all sides will be the winners here, which will ultimately destroy our country. All parties need to wake up fast and address our farming, our health and our housing crisis as a matter of urgency. This is the only way to stop this kind of nonsense from happening and escalating. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Let's get straight into uh, questions. A listener has a cat uh, about seven years old. Anytime we try to dose him, he just coughs it back up or ends up getting sick. Uh, is there anything you could recommend? Some cats find it really difficult to take tablets, don't they? They do. You know, it's a constant struggle. It really depends on the situation. Is this, a, let's say, are we dosing him with his routine kind of deworming treatments, parasite treatments every few months? Um, or is this a little cat that needs medication every day? Um, so the solution will be slightly different in each case. So let's take the, the cat who maybe just needs their routine worming prevention every few months. For those ones, you're lucky enough to have to tablet your cat fairly infrequently. But what I would say is that a lot of, let's say, the routine anti-parasitics that we would need for cats and dogs these days, some of them do come in liquid spot on form. So not liquid you would put into your food. That's not safe. It's spot on that goes on the back of the neck. Now, it is important to discuss this with your vet if this is the situation, if it's kind of routine antiparasitics. And they may well have an alternative that's either more palatable to your pet, so they like the taste of it better, or that will go on the back of their neck and do the same job. Now, what I would be really careful to think about first, though, is not all spot-ons that we normally call them, they're not all created equal, okay? So it's really important if you are getting one of these products to either get it from a vet's or a pharmacy because we have kind of access to a different level of products that we know are really safe in these pets and very effective. But it's probably best to have a chat with your local vet or vet nurse about what what kind of parasitic control is, is appropriate for your pet. In a lot of cases some of the spot-ons that go on the back of the neck will do some types of worms but not others Um, so the most common one that's only available usually in tablet form is for tapeworms but there are some new products coming on the market that will actually do that in a spot-on form that goes on the back of the neck but they're not every spot-on so it's just important to be aware that there is a bit of a distinction what I'd say is if it is parasite control that you're struggling to dose them with have a chat with your vet it's not not a unique problem please don't worry we're very used to this and there's no shame in it one of my own cats is an absolute nightmare to tablet so I, I you feel your pain there um so have a chat with your vet i'm sure there may be an alternative or they may even be able to help you with regularly tabling your tabletting your cat if it is something that is a real struggle if let's say we have a cat that's struggling to take medication that they require every day or multiple times a day then that's a much trickier situation depending on what medication it is if it's safe to be given with food and speak to your vet about that for each medication that your pet is on it may be a case that you might just need to hide it in something really smelly and stinky to kind of mask the smell of the medication itself and that can help in sometimes tricking around with various different things whether putting them in let's say little cat yogurts licky licks or covering in let's say the the water from a can of tuna for example something like that that can really help so really masking that scent is a very helpful thing but every cat is a little different some of them just don't like the crunch or the the taste when it goes in their mouth so that's a a bit of a more challenging thing that you might have to cover and something a bit more hefty but it is really important to make sure that that's an appropriate thing to do with the medication that you have for your pet so check with your vet and that it's a safe thing to be giving your pet depending on the medical condition but if that's not working you know 
every single vet out there, I'm sure would much prefer to have an owner ring them and say, look, I'm having a load of trouble getting medication into my pet. Can you help me? Then for you to suffer in silence or even worse for the pet not to get the medication it needs. So please, please don't be shy about letting your vet or your vet nurse know that you're struggling to give medication. We'd really much prefer to know. And, you know, it's not surprising. It's it's not a skill that we're all taught. It's, it's quite a difficult thing. And sometimes it might be as simple as getting a bit of a demo from your local vet or vet nurse as to how to tablet them or to even look at alternatives. So many medications these days are available in liquid form, which is a little bit more easy to give to the slightly more ninja-like cat that doesn't want to eat things out of food. But it is important to check with your vet because some medications, unfortunately, are still only available in tablet form. So I think the main thing is really open a dialogue with your veterinary practice and have a chat with them. Now, this listener has a 12-year-old Labrador. It says with a torn CCL, so I'm not quite sure what the injury is. It says, unfortunately, surgery to repair this injury is very, very expensive. So it's now not an option. I'm wondering, could Jane recommend, are there any alternatives to reduce pain? Would glucosamine, for example, be helpful? He's, he's, he is able to take short walks and he still loves to go for a walk, but we're trying to make sure that he's, he's pain free. Is there ongoing pain medication that could be given? There is. So a CCL is a cranial cruciate ligament. So these are kind of a little X-shaped ligament, uh, kind of a very strong little fibre within the knee joint. And we have them as well, um, which keeps the knee stable during movement. It's commonly, if you ever hear footballers doing their knees in, it's usually a cranial cruciate ligament. So it's kind of the footballer's disease, as it were. But dogs can get it too. Um, It happens in small breed dogs, also large breed dogs. The management's a little bit different between small and large breed dogs. Obviously, a larger breed dog has a lot more weight on that leg, so it's under a lot more pressure. And in those situations, really, surgery would usually be the, the suggested way forward. In the smaller patient, although surgery kind of might be the gold standard, sometimes we have the option for doing conservative management. So kind of, you know, a really generous rest for a long period of a few months and, and, and some anti-inflammatories, and that may be appropriate. Really depends on your own pet, pet situation. But let's say we're in a situation, as we are in this situation, where we can't go for surgery and that's okay and um, certainly you're dead right there are pain relief medications that we can use so really it's all about quality of life and comfort for these patients and um, particularly if surgery is not feasible so what I would say is that if you don't want to go down the surgical route have a chat with your vet again there's plenty of different pain medications that we can use in these patients to control their pain as best we can okay it's never going to fix the leg it's never going to repair the ligament it's not going to do the same job as surgery but the important thing is your pet will be comfortable and they can be things like non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, some newer injectable drugs that we would give monthly, lots of different things. So there's plenty of options. So please don't worry. You know, there are different avenues to keep your pet comfortable. As regards the glucosamine, it's probably bottom of the list of what I would suggest for this pet. Glucosamine is helpful to maintain cartilage health. But what I would say is with the CCL being ruptured, there's probably quite a lot of damage already done to that knee. It's kind of like trying to to fix something that's already uh, already broken with something yeah. very mild it won't provide pain relief so it's probably a case that the damage is done there it's a nice cherry on top but it's not going to be the main priority it's the pain patient, relief is which what you need pain relief. okay yeah, exactly. o- Anya has a puppy five months of age she's on a dr- she's on a dry diet and she has lots of access to uh, water I provide fresh daily water for her. But as soon as she goes outside, she's crazy for the bucket that has rainwater in it. I'm just wondering, could there be that much of a difference between rainwater and the water coming out of my tap? Or could it be that she's lacking in something? Yeah, you know, I it's, it's a constant source of confusion for me too. My own little cat, Darwin, he wanders outside, he has water freely available, multiple places in the house. Where does he like to drink from? The slightly grotty looking pond in the garden. Yeah. So, 
it some of them just seem to have a taste for it obviously we'd prefer if they didn't do it because you know there's probably quite nasty bacteria in there and things that we don't want them to be having so i suppose if there's a bucket outside maybe try and limit their access to it and hopefully they'll resort to having the the clean water inside i suppose the main differences between tap water and rainwater would be kind of the the treated chlorinated content most pets don't seem to be too bothered by that really um what I would say is it's just, you know, if, as long as your pet is otherwise well and themselves quite happy, I try and restrict the access to the, the nasty bucket outside that may not have the, the cleanest water in it. And they'll probably just default to getting their hydration inside. But it is frustrating. I wouldn't say it's likely that they're lacking in anything. Um, lacking kind of uh, nutrients as long as they're on a good quality, comprehensive puppy diet, if we're kind of five months of age, should be more than adequate. So I wouldn't be worried about needing to supplement anything. Um, they should be fine. It's probably more habit and a taste for it than anything else. Okay, and a final one from uh, Susan who has a cat uh, for the last few months. She describes the cat has been very wild. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is some kind of a stray cat. Susan says, will she grow out of it? I'm trying to turn her into a house cat, but it's very hard at the moment. Hmm, it can be a challenge. If she's very young, then you probably have a good chance. But look, every little cat, just like every little person, we all have different personalities and part of that might just be her personality and that might not be for changing. That said, if she's kind of wild and nervous, the more you gain her trust by, I suppose, having a set routine of the day. So set routine time when she's fed, set routine time when you try and interact with her. She kind of learns that they're the expected things and she'll probably relax into that routine. The less surprises you have when you're trying to calm a pet down that's already anxious or nervous or fearful or a bit wild, the better, because they can kind of put that framework in their head and go, right, this is exactly what I was expecting. It's no big changes here. I don't need to be worried. So I think if she's young, you probably have a good chance. But just to be aware that, you know, we all have different personalities. There's flighty cats out there and there's very calm cats out there. So you, an aspect of it may be personality related. OK, let's leave it there. Talk to you next week. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Okay. Thank you, uh, good afternoon, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Mill Street, part of the uh, Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And we're back with you for the final one of the week tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Or today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.